Welcome to episode 15 of The False Neutral. I'm Pete. Eric, Garrett, our other two hosts are with me, and our guest today is Brad, a.k.a. Tub, from Camden Tub. And our conversation kind of, what would you guys say, we fell into it by accident. (laughs) So we were already well into a conversation that was worth sharing with you without ever having done an introduction. So, welcome to everybody, and here is our conversation already in progress. So, I, I have to ask, am I being hipster? I'm, I'm really kind of into saucers no. lately. Take a picture. <laughs> take a picture of it. Put it on Instagram. And then I'll be... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's like... You know, I, I am in the hipster capital of the world, and so any coffee shop that I go into, there's somebody... With the most massive DSLR camera taking oh, these pictures of their coffee and like, oh, it's just, it drives me nuts. It, I, I can't even stand well, living in this place. Your hands don't get hot. You know, you're not holding on to a hot mug. And if you spill it, it, you know, you don't it make a mess. It. On the, it, they really need to make a comeback. And every time I think that, I think, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be one of those guys talking about, oh, yeah, those those straight razors. You get a much better shave or, you know, the old <laughs> single blade reversible safety razors. You need to use those. Those are the best. I, they are, they are really good. They just take three times as long to shave. That's that's the problem because I have them. <laughs> well, I, I used my father's for like a month when I was 14 or whatever when I started shaving and I cut myself so badly so often I'm like no I'm going to go out and get those those new Chick Track 2 razors are the best so <laughs> I don't shave because everybody makes fun of me when I do cuz I look like I'm 3 years old Oh yeah so. I lose like 20 years when I when I cut all this yeah. stuff <laughs> Yeah and I don't like how it feels I don't like a freshly shaved face and the the like air it just feels cold I don't I, like that I had for years I had a uh, not a goatee, a Van Dyke. I had a Van Dyke <laughs> for, for most of my adult life until uh, I got engaged to my wife. That sounds and she dirty. was like, I, I really dislike the whole kiss in the beard thing. And it magically went away and has never come back. You yeah. know? It took long enough to get engaged before she said something about it. <laughs> I know, right? She's, she's very, very polite. Ah, it, it, okay. <laughs> yeah. Because we were, we were best friends. We actually got engaged when we were 19 and got unengaged because we both realized how young and stupid we were. And we didn't live in the same city and we didn't know when we would. It was like, okay, long distance things don't work. But I said, I want you to promise me before you accept a marriage proposal, you need to call me and give me 30 minutes to talk you out of it. If I can't, great. But <laughs> I, I don't want to come into town someday and find out, oh, yeah, Sarah got married. So we kind of <laughs> left it at that. We always stayed in touch, and when I moved back to Kansas City, we just started hanging out all the time for a couple of years, and she kind of said, do you want to revisit the whole romance marriage thing? And I was like, you're my best friend. Of course. Sure. Great. So That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. I guess we should kiss or something, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Bradley, since we have you here, that instead of talking about something that you would not be able to contribute to... (laughs) Uh, I can contribute as best I can I, in any topic. I want to. I want to um, make the most of your dynamic personality and your wealth <laughs> of knowledge. So, I want to make this. What is truly different between cars and motorcycles? You had a motorcycle. Okay. You have a car that you don't put the top up on. That you know <laughs> you, you, just, you just drove to the the R group. Yes, with ends the top of the down earth. the whole time. So yep. I'm thinking that might be a good topic for that we could all participate in because there's so many things that yeah. make bikes different than cars. And I guess we're recording. I, I guess there was no intro because okay. we're already no, doing it. Hold on, because aren't we all recording our own ends again? Or we're I've, try I've to got everybody it? on Skype and we're recording it. And okay, Brad doesn't. Yeah, hear I'm on a phone, so I can't record. So, mine, just, so. what I discovered is either you use the Skype recorder. 
or everybody has to record it because Skype has enough delay that it gets out of sync. You know, you get okay. those, those little moments that it hiccups and then all of a sudden everybody's off. So you can't cut out parts of tracks. Up. You have to constantly realign stuff. And it was a nightmare. So last week I was like, you know what? Either we do one or we do the other. So gotcha. mm-hmm. got it. Pete, you're, uh, cause I was listening to the show, the Camden tub thing earlier today of when you were on and, uh, you're, you're, Mountain Monk coffee isn't really all that much more expensive than any other decent coffee. Well, it's a lot more it's, expensive it's, than the than the. It's it's no freeze dried ch- taster's choice. Okay. Well, well, <laughs> you know, when, I drink Folgers. So I'm sorry, Pete. Yeah, I'm sorry. Hey, you know, it can't beat Sanka. I mean, that's just... <laughs> oh, I mean, like I've looked at. I mean, when I looked at, it, I'm like, I, I seriously looked at doing like a blue bottle coffee subscription. And like, yeah, but I looked at theirs and I'm like, oh, it's if it's as good as you say it is and it's less. So I'm going to take a shot and order one, especially if you order five pounds at a time. It's cheaper than Starbucks. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We we get and, the and, and I go through a pound of coffee every, I don't know, 10 days to two weeks anyway. So oh my because, God. how much do you usually drink? Um, Whatever. My pot Are is you? like eight, eight cups. So oh. are you one of those people that drinks coffee all day long? No, just that, in the explain, morning. that, that yeah. explains why I have to edit out so many times that you repeat one word like five times at the beginning of a sentence. So yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know what you're, <laughs> or, or there was a time, there was a time, there was a time that I did this. <laughs> no, so it's like two, it's like two 16 ounce mugs of coffee. So that's, you know, yeah. I, I can have about 12 ounces in the morning and that's it. I'm, I'm the same the with day. you. Yeah, 12, 16 ounces. That's it for me. But I don't care what I'm drinking so long as it's caffeinated. No, no, no yeah. I'm a, I've been a coffee snob for, I don't know, 25 years. So, yeah, yep. I mean, I was I was a broke ass college <laughs> student and I had a Javelia subscription in college <laughs> for coffee. OK, yeah. not that Javelia is the best, but in college, man, that's, you know, that's. <laughs> do you just drink it straight black or do you put anything in it? No, no, no. The only time I'll actually ever put anything in it is occasionally um, condensed milk is really good. But yeah. there's a place in Ann Arbor, uh, Sweetwater Cafe, and they've got their own home blend or their own roast. So however they roast their stuff with the condensed milk, it's like amazing. And I cannot replicate that at home. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, coffee, and since we always talk about motorcycles, I always envision making a cup holder for my motorcycle. But one of those like not really a gyroscopic one, but one that has like two axes of pivots. So it'll always stay uh you know like vertical so like when i'm cornering right it'll always still be vertical i've always wanted to make one of those but i've just never gotten they, around to they do actually it. have them uh i know well, that's a- i've got a machine <laughs> shop oh and i the see tools this is, necessary this is a- i want to build my own I see. that's this actually is- a good transition into the into the topic because that's something right. that a car has that a motorcycle doesn't <laughs> i know cup holders <laughs> but you know i guess in the right car you still need one of those uh pivoting cup holders if you plan on taking some aggressive corners on the way to work and you don't want yeah, to fill it over that's true i do occasionally when i'm when i'm on a nice road i occasionally have to lift my soda out of the <laughs> cup holder well and and i drive a 80s toyota pickup truck which doesn't have cup holders in it so i always put my coffee in between my legs and invariably every morning I spill coffee on myself and every day I say to myself, all right, I'm going to get cup holders and I never do. My carpet was gray. Now it's brown. (laughs) But yeah, maybe I'll make one of those cup holders one of these days, but it's not going to be today because today we're talking about motorcycles. So there, there are the obvious differences between cars and motorcycles that uh, one has two wheels, one has four, one is enclosed. Usually Uh, one leans, one doesn't. Depending think, depends on which vehicle you're driving and how much it leans or not. Okay, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, uh, a 1986 Caprice probably has a little bit of lean angle to it. I, yeah. It probably can lean more than like a full dress Harley <laughs> Electroglide from '65. You know, right. the problem think, with those though is they lean the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> if it leaned into the corner, it'd be great. But if it, you know, well, have I, they ever, have three, they ever three, come up with active? I know they've got like torque differential management and stuff like that and four-wheel steering and stuff has anybody ever like done active yes it's called mclaren yeah i was gonna say i think i'm in i'm in on a road car on a road car no 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 the mclaren uh 675s 650 and the 675s and the p1 
They have a, a hydro, a, like a hydro pneumatic connected electrical system that that will change both yeah. the sway bars and the uh, compression and rebound of the shock absorber in each corner for each you know, curve that you take. A little bit differently. It's not side-to-side lean, but some of the Rolls-Royces, I think, have, um, when you accelerate it uh, yes. to keep the car level, right, yeah. it, it uh, adjusts itself that way. But mm-hmm. About three yeah. weeks ago, I had a, uh, a, a Tacoma uh, TRD package uh, press car and hitting some of the uh, off ramps lean. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it had a lot of it had a lot of lean on on the uh, off ramps, and it was funny because at about thirty five miles an hour on an off ramp, you could kind of feel those big tubey tires. Well, not, obviously they don't have tubes, but big and like thirty ones or thirty threes on it or something like that from the factory, but I was like, you could feel that yeah. Sorry, making a big oscillation noise or move here that we can see on camera, but you can on <laughs> in audio. So but imagine um, it. Yes. So yes, that had some that had some lean angle to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well so uh perhaps the biggest differences are in the performance aspects of motorcycles. Like Pete um, and I and Eric were talking in our groups earlier about um, carburation and overhead cams and overhead valves and why, um, you know, in the 80s, fuel injection became the norm for cars. But for motorcycles, it really didn't start until here pretty recently that it became a norm. Motocross bikes really in 2009 is when they first started to become uh, kind of normal to have fuel injection. But you know, that's 30 years behind of where the automotive industry was. Do you think that's mostly to do with initial buy-in cost? No, Say it's that- probably, it's really to do with emissions when yep. it comes down to uh, it. Because okay. in the, in the, you know, seventies and eighties, there's, you know, oil crisis and, um, you know, the, the need to really clean emissions up, but motorcycles didn't really have those challenges. And like so California, uh, CARB ignored motorcycles. Yeah. Um, until until 1980. Well, yeah, was the 90s, 80, 1980 first time the California Air Resources Board regulated emissions on motorcycles, which is why the last non catalytic two stroke was in 79. They had the yeah. Yamaha, the yeah. RD 400 Daytona special. They knew it was going to be a one year model because it had to go away. And then they did the RZ350, but that had to have catalytic converters in order to be clean enough in 83 or whenever that was. Yeah, I think with motorcycling, well, A, motorcycle engines are just, they don't pollute as much as a car, just in that they're a lot smaller and typically a little bit more efficient um, engines. And, and also, there's just not as widespread as as automotive engines. And so they really just didn't focus on them too much. And then, you know, Fast forward to the 2000s, then they started to look a little bit more at emissions, but also the performance benefits of fuel injection, which is really why you started to see it um, more widely used in the 2000s. But with motorcycles, the the carburation technology um, did develop quite a bit over the time. I mean, with uh, carburetors, they started to make them um, work a lot better through various RPM ranges and with accelerator pumps and, and all these things where... Um, the performance aspects, the carburetors are always pretty good. And so I don't think that they ever really had that much, uh, need to go to fuel injection. I, I, the, just to show how topsy turvy bike technology is with cars, uh, the first fuel injected production motorcycle was the 1980 Kawasaki Z1 Classic, which was still air cooled. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's Isn't like, that how, wild? <laughs> when was the last air cooled I don't know how long it's been since it was a widespread thing, but really, you know, pre-war, you got to go back to find, except for, you know, idiosyncratic bikes or uh, cars, rather, that were here and there. But overall, uh, you know, bikes stayed air-cooled until the... Now? The GT750 <laughs> in 72 and the Goldwing in 76 were the first modern yeah water-cooled motorcycles well G- yeah. gsxrs were racing in superbike un- until early 90s as uh as air and oil cooled machines yeah really yeah wow. yeah for for the most part in cars porsche was pretty much the only standout 
in air cooled and they stayed with that through 98, which was right. probably too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But a point of contention amongst, uh, Porsche so enthusiasts. So when did they start, yeah. when did they start using fuel injection on Porsches? Uh, yeah, it, well, it would have been mechanical fuel injection. Yeah. yeah. Um, then there was the, yeah, I mean, yeah, it would have been 72. And then there were just, and, and I, on it from there. It, one of my uh, one of my best friends, he has a seventy three nine eleven T, and it's got a weird Bosch mechanical fuel injection. That's like you get it right, and you never touch it. And when it's wrong, you it's not something you can fix. You have to find yeah. a Porsche a Porsche <laughs> yeah. mechanic who knows what that old system is because it was only in production for like two or three years, and it's yeah. And they were super high pressure, so like yeah. the the fuel pumps were really high pressure and everything, and. Uh, yeah, they they started to introduce um, what's called Bosch K-Jetronic, and that was like a modern fuel injection system on air-cooled cars in the early 80s. And it was actually introduced for um, racing at Le Mans because they, they went from, I think it was like 8 miles per gallon to up to like 15 miles per gallon Yeah, in, in, during the Group C days in racing. So, um, yeah. That was when they started developing it for the road, too. A slight Porsche tangent, since we're talking about it. (laughs) Uh, A a good friend of mine, who I've known for years and years and years, and I've known his dad for years and years and years. His dad's a vet, a horse vet, and has been forever. I have known them for all this time, and I had no idea until just yesterday that my friend's dad has a Porsche 356 that he's owned Mm -hmm. since, um, since college, which for him has been probably 35 years now that he's been out of college, maybe 40 years or so. Um, and all, and, and, and I've, I saw it, it's a completely restored, beautiful Porsche 356 that he's had forever. And I thought mm-hmm. it was the coolest. I have known these people for years and never did I know that they had this beautiful Porsche 356 sitting in their garage. I was absolutely jaw dropped seeing it. The That'd funny cool thing is, is, is 40 years ago, that was just a used car. Like, I know. Nobody... <laughs> right. Because, I mean, he was a college, a kid college could afford student. It. He just liked Volkswagens and probably just came across this Porsche. And it probably happened to run. And so he's like, hey, well, I'll buy it. It'll get me to school. And he's just had it ever since. And now, uh, what is that car worth? If a fully restored Porsche 356. It uh, really <laughs> depends on the model. But most, yeah. uh, like even a coupe is about 60 grand now. Yeah. Just yeah. a regular coupe. Pretty wild. So yeah, wild. My uh, to to finish off the Porsche tangent, my buddy and I <laughs> laugh at his. I put a link to uh, in the show notes for it, but um, he got it from his dad. His dad's the second was he was the second owner. It's got under forty thousand miles on it. And we laugh because you know in today's inflated nine eleven market, he could get eighty grand for it without a blink of an yeah. eye. He'd never sell it, right? But it's just like really, like five years ago, that car was worth you know maybe thirty grand. Yeah, Not even, you know, if that, if that. It's just so. crazy what these Porsches have gone up to in value nowadays, especially like the last of the air cooled ones are just ridiculously mm-hmm. priced. Nine nine three turbo is like one hundred and fifty grand, right? They're, and you can get a nine six turbo for thirty five or forty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trust yeah, me, I mean, I it'll I'm be beat, but I'm looking at a good team. car. I'm looking at a 996 Turbo, maybe, <laughs> once yeah. I get rid of the Mustang. So. That's one of my favorite, especially like for the performance that you get. That's, yeah. that's the bargain of the Porsche market right now. Yeah. And seeing as how it's at the bottom of the market, I'm hoping that you know if I get it now or in the next six months, that yep. I, as that everyone goes, what, is that cheap? And then the prices come up to more rational. I'm not saying it's going to make <laughs> big money, but a more rational level. Anyway, so let's, yeah. get, back to, let's get back to motorcycles. Well, right. I, I, yeah. I, I want to so is there – uh, Sorry, I was. Do you mind if I ask a group no, question no. real quick? Okay, I was going to say, is there a corollary between the Porsche market and anything in motorcycles? Is there anything that was undervalued for a long time that's now like skyrocketing? Well, with motorcycles, um, it, it's hard to say that there's a motorcycle that was common that's worth so much money that it's unobtainable now. I mean, there are niche motorcycles, like some of the various old road racing bikes, like some of the um, Hondas and, and and other road racing bikes where, yeah, they're sixty or $70,000 to try to find one now. But it's hard to 
pick a model. Pete, I mean, Eric, maybe you guys I, the, know the one something. One thing that comes to mind for me is is Norton's. Norton's yeah. went from being something you could pick up for a couple of thousand dollars not too many years ago to derelicts, you know, going for six and seven grand that need total restoration. Yeah. Some but, of the and, um, some of the old um, like mid to late sixties and even at early seventies. Uh, single cylinder Ducatis are kind of getting like that where a couple of years ago you can get them, you know, at a swap meet, a vintage swap meet for e- whole for a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks. You can't even get an engine now for like under two grand. So I know because wow. a buddy of mine has three. So it's even <laughs> both of those, although probably um, less the Cotty than the Norton, they don't really have that high and, and no offense to Porsche owners, that high nose enthusiast network that the Porsche cars do um you know the nortons i feel like i mean maybe it's kind of an enthusiast bike and 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 absolutely so is the ducati so don't get me wrong there um but it's just it's not quite the same as uh the porsche enthusiast i I would say that maybe the bmw motorcycles are more like porsches than bmw cars because they were so traditional for so long and Mm -hmm. then they decided to get all technical and went the opposite direction and became incredibly complex and kind of embraced all kinds of uh, a lot of electronics and extra features. And they do have that kind of highbrow nose in the air enthusiast who looks down on everybody else. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think you're right there. And and on that BMW theme, if we're looking for something where I don't want to say collectible, but something that's definitely appreciating a lot in value, sort of the mid seventies um, mm-hmm. uh, BMWs, air cooled the the boxers. I want to call like a, like an R ninety or something like that. Yeah. Again, a few years ago, four five thousand dollars, and now clean ones are what eight to twelve. Yeah. And, and ones so. that, and ones that. You used to not be able to give away R sixty fives. Yeah, that yeah. Like, Oh, we don't want those. They're so wonderful. Now they're like, uh, kind of the custom bike well, darling. You know, it's kind of like the nine fourteen Porsche, where you <laughs> couldn't really give them away there for a long time. But now nine elevens are so damn expensive. That's your next next people, best option. People want like fourteen grand for a nine fourteen, just a basic nine fourteen. It really yes, wasn't very long ago. The battery tray isn't rotted away. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I get that, right? Okay, that's that's pretty rare for a 914, but really? That's very rare. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't that I've long ago. I made my entire living off of those things. Yeah. <laughs> that and 944s, too. They're just, I mean, I don't know. They just, in the those last... Haven't, those haven't really two. started to go up in value, but honestly, they should, because they're such great cars. They're so yeah, rare. have one than a 914. Yeah, it's great that you can uh, buy one. yeah. It's great that you can buy a 944 for like four or five thousand dollars, as long as you understand that in the next six months you'll be spending fifteen thousand dollars to make sure it runs correctly. Oh no, it's not that bad. I, I bought one for fifteen hundred dollars, and I only put about four grand in it. <laughs> no, so you're not absolutely quite, not quite wrong. a lemon. It was only ten thousand. <laughs> uh, well, how else do motorcycles and? cars differ well i I was gonna ask brad are you seriously considering ripping off your windshield and putting brooklyn screens on your (laughs) on your boxer that would be the coolest thing in the world i i I really want to but um i have a wife and (laughs) i know that she would have she would never get in the car again if it didn't have a windshield um which i might be okay with but (laughs) Um, I I, I really want to, but I I do, especially when I go on long trips, like I I recently went to Palm Springs from Reno and, uh, and it's nice to have a windshield, um, and heat and windows that roll up. So, so so what you, what you're saying is if you want to do that, you find a 97, 98 basic boxer with a blown up engine that for like five grand or something like that and then you probably just, even less than that I, see i'm my bo- i have a 97 that's what my boxer is a 97 and um and it was seventy five hundred dollars with ninety thousand miles on it and i've put forty thousand on it since i got it with relatively no problem uh so yeah it, it'd probably be the perfect candidate for such a conversion but um, I, I do like driving it long distances. I like going in road trips in it. 
Um, but I will probably end up pulling the top out permanently and just do hard top in the winter and then no top in the summer. Yeah, you so. can get away with that where you live, but yes, yeah, and we <laughs> have a long summer season. So I yeah. had a friend of mine had a, a Jeep CJ5 that he had ripped the windshield off of, and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but why do people do that? I don't know, but it was really cool because he well, had he had a little one of those little uh, half helmet or a three quarter helmet, an open face helmet with one of those like NASCAR half screens that only come <laughs> down a little below your yeah. eyes with a little visor. And that's what he wore. And I just grabbed my motorcycle. I had a full face motorcycle helmet at the time. I grabbed that and it was really a lot of fun. It was kind of in between a dune buggy and a car because it didn't have doors on it. It didn't have a windshield and it was kind of in the wind. There is something to that open air, you know, dune buggies and, rail rail buggies and and uh mm-hmm. go-karts you know that kind of the uh aerial atom kind of thing so the whole thing with the cj5 is by the way can't you just fold the windshield down <laughs> you need rather than just of it? i don't know if you guys can see this but i found this goofy helmet where the the visor like spring load flips down i have that in my modular helmet Behind yeah. the, the face shield, you can flip down the sun visor inside of it. So yeah, what, yeah, that one is. What, what is is that like? You took a half helmet and a full half full face helmet, and you cut them in half and glued them together. It's a it's a uh, rally car. It's basically rally car styles because you can put the microphone right here. Yeah. Oh, got okay. Cups in here so that the driver and the and the navigator can talk to each other. So okay, but it was so on, it was on, on scale, the- so that's why I have it. <laughs> Back on the whole windshield thing, and Brad, tell me this. Do people actually take the windshields out of those boxers? Not really. Um, nobody really does the things that I'm doing with my boxer for the most part. Yes, I'm trying to be anyway. It's a project car for a site that I write for called flatsixes.com, and it's all Porsche stuff. And um, so this this project, I'm trying to do like a uh, club sport style, almost race car for the street, yeah. I guess. So like and a single hoop roll cage behind the driver, or yeah, something I mean, like I would that. probably do a full, um, you know, yeah, a, a yeah. triangulated roll bar and welded in rather than yeah. bolted in, uh, and then you know, lightweight seats and competition belts and things like that, uh, lightweight everything pull all the airbags out so far i'm down about 100 pounds in the car my goal is between two and 300 pounds and it's on 295 essentially uh, our compound street tires oh wow i didn't realize you could fit a tire that wide underneath it (laughs) you can't i had to put flares on it oh okay (laughs) so so is it, it it looks sort of like um uh, Harry Hamlin's King of the Mountain 356 is that? Uh, how's that? How's that for obscure reference? He didn't weren't expecting very, today. <laughs> very obscure. Um, it's kind of like a, a mix between like the R Group of uh, cars that I I went to visit. That was what was in Palm Springs, and like something that maybe Magnus Walker would do if you've seen any gotcha. of his cars. Yeah, right. So it's got mismatched paint and it's got wide wheels and it's got you know. What do you have on the fronts? Two forty fives, eight and a half front, ten and a half rear. That's so. Yeah, it used to have six fronts and eight rears, and now it's got eight and a halfs in the front. So it's a lot more grip than it had stock. Yeah. Is that is that MGB you posted a picture of? Is that something that you used to have, or is that just an internet? No, no, I just I just got that off the internet. Just something with the with the Brooklyn screens on it. Something that's been converted into a speedster. Yeah. I like that the headrests stick up higher than the windscreen. <laughs> yes. That's your roll bar. <laughs> yeah, it's good for you. Uh, um, yeah, so the the car is kind of a um, an amalgam of, of ideas in the Porsche community, and I'm, I'm just trying to, like, take it as far as I can. And lately I've just been like, what can I do that would really irritate some people? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> what, what would piss off a traditional Porsche owner? An LS conversion? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe um, a, a Subaru motor conversion. No, yeah. no, no, no. Because no, Subaru motors are way worse than than Porsche motors. Oh, blasphemy, <laughs> Eric! Get out of here. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, the one of the things that I 
did on this trip was, you know, with the top down the whole way, it was 1,200 miles round trip. Um, I was up in uh, probably about 10,000 feet at one point, and it got down to maybe 40 degrees. So it did get kind of cold. It was nice to have a windshield, and it was nice to have windows that roll up, and it was nice to have really good heat. Um, and I just threw on a nice hat and kept going. But I know, like, I've done short distance motorcycle trips but i was on a very slow motorcycle so uh it took me much longer than most people but i i did about 60 miles on my mb5 once and um that took like all day <laughs> yeah i was gonna say because i know that you and uh pete talked about this on your podcast camden tub but yes um for those of uh our listeners or list our listener who hasn't heard that episode <laughs> of Camden Tub. Uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, motorcycle and kind of what your experiences are with it. Yeah, um, I was coming out of college. I, I graduated like at the peak of the recession. So there were yeah. no jobs and it was impossible to do anything. So I was, I was very poor for a while living in Atlanta. Um, and I didn't live very far from work. And my car just died one day and I didn't have enough money to fix it and I didn't have enough money to replace it. So I kept looking for something cheap on Craigslist that I could buy. And eventually I found an MB five, never ridden motorcycle on the street before. Didn't have a license. Didn't matter. Yeah. I was like, yep, I'm going to buy that. I got it for, I think it was seven or $800. And, um, and I rode that thing every day for a year, 365 days of MB five. (laughs) that sounds like a good uh a good book to write 365 days of mb5 it'd be great if i remembered all of it but yeah uh maybe i should restore it and do that again yeah um but uh yeah so i mean i went through uh i don't even know how many tire tubes and uh, i think i broke a chain a couple times and the electrical system on that bike was a mess because the um, the battery ran out of water and it like overcharged everything and it blew out all the lights. And <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, yeah, mess. it was a mess. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I learned a lot with that bike and I, I got a lot of fun out of it and riding it all the time. And I still have it. I still need to get it, you know, back up and running the way that I want it to be. I've just neglected it for too long. Yeah. Um, I apologize for the phone ringing. I am at work right now. But anyway, <laughs> um, so there was kind of this interesting corollary between how exhausted I was at the end of this 1,200-mile road trip and how exhausted I was after 60 miles on an MB5. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, 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 it wears on you, you know, with the, right. the wind noise and the uncomfortable seating positions and and all that, so... Yeah, I yeah. know that Pete goes on long rides, but he's on a Can-Am. Right. Uh, I, <laughs> I, for the life of me, I have these, like, dreams of going on a long-distance ride. Something like what, you know, Pete was talking about with that. I don't remember what the name of it is, but that uh, ride around Kansas that you talk about. The, the smack, but, smack dab ride. Yeah, so I always, like, have these grand dreams of doing some long-distance ride like that. But every time I get on a motorcycle, like, 45 minutes to an hour into the ride like my ass is already miserable like i'm just ready to get off you know (laughs) i don't have a can-am like that's the thing that's nice about the can-am is not necessarily that it's three wheels just that it's really comfortable you know (laughs) i did basically the equivalent of the smack dab ride one day on vacation on my well i told you guys the story of uh, blowing up my uh, gb500 uh that was a 500 single and i did Mm -hmm almost 700 miles in a day and uh so it doesn't make a big difference whether it's two or three wheels the one big difference is fighting side winds if if you're it's a really gusty day you're constantly correcting against the wind which you don't have to do on the three-wheeler but what about i was going to ask you p on your can-am when you get behind a semi, and you know you get that like weird kind of it wants to like jostle you around with that turbulence behind a trailer. Do you feel any of that on your Can Am? You feel it in your upper body, but it does not affect not the vehicle the at all. Which is one of the things I really like about it is that you're any source of wind, you don't feel that constant, you know, shimmy through the steering as it, you're subconsciously trying to counteract 
the wind as it's trying to blow you from side to side. Yeah. What about, and I don't mean to have this be the interview Pete about his Can-Am episode, but I just <laughs> thought of one other question that I wanted to ask about it. Uh, the front width, do you like find weird where it wants to dive into a rut because it doesn't quite fit into like two ruts on a highway? Or do you kind of get into any weirdness with the width of it and the two wheels in the front? No, because you've got such, it's like a car. You've got such a wide contact patch yeah. that, that you, it, you don't get that, that hunting feeling like you do sometimes in rain grooves on a bike and stuff because they're, they're wide enough that you've got a really good footprint out there. The one thing that you do have that freaks people out is since it's like a four wheeler, you've got uh, rod ends that go out Mm -hmm. in the very center. When you're, when you're perfectly centered, you can't get rid of a fraction of a degree of dead play in between Mm -hmm. right and left. And people get off a motorcycle and they get on and they ride and it feels so bizarre to them. Yeah. That they feel like they've got to control that instead of just taking your hands off the bar and letting the wheels track where they're going to track until you want to deliberately turn. And it, that's what took me about a thousand miles to get to the point where that didn't feel wrong to me. Yeah. And, and I even went to the back of the dealer. I'm like, is this really the way this is supposed to work? And they're like, yeah, that's the way it, it, it's exactly what it's supposed to do. Because if you tighten them up so much, that there's no play at all, then you're going to have so much stiction that you have to have it only tightened up enough that it's it's as tight as you can get it before everything binds. So it's just an, it's it's like a four wheeler. You you have yeah. to have that. Yeah, well, I can't imagine doing 60 miles on an MB5. I think that would probably be my worst nightmare. <laughs> I, I, most... I did it a few times actually. The the I think the longest one was about 60 miles, but the um, I did a few long haul all day kind of tracks in and on that bike and uh one of them was uh i used to live on the northern side of atlanta and my dad still does live on the southern side of atlanta like out in the country and i was like oh yeah i'll just wake up early i'll go down visit my dad and i'll come back and on the way back uh i lost my clutch cable Mm-hmm. so <laughs> that's happened to me before <laughs> so that was fun you know having to click down to neutral you know before every stoplight and yeah rev it up pop then, it into gear to get going <laughs> well yeah i would i would shove off with my feet and rev yeah. it up pop it into first and, and if there off. was ever a bike that needed a lot of clutch to get going it's yeah. an mb5 yeah. <laughs> right. exactly and uh yeah so i'd have to push off to at least 10 miles an hour you know running with my feet beside the <laughs> beside the bike look like then, you're stealing um, it just running down the street with it <laughs> And then, and then, like five miles from home, I actually ran out of fuel. And <laughs> I was then like, you "Really, look like you're stealing it because you're yes. pushing it five miles down the street." Right. So I had to. I actually, I found a, a gas station that had two-stroke oil, and I was able to buy, you know, two-stroke oil and and the right uh, gasoline and, and get home. But it was getting dark in an area of Atlanta that I probably shouldn't have been in. Um, because normally I would take highways, but because I was on the MB5, I was taking, you yeah. know, the the CD under under highway passes and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, and and I rode. I actually rode it up to Road Atlanta, and I think that was the longest trip was uh, was that one because I went to the Midi and they had vintage motorcycle riding, and I rode on track in the MB5, and I was like way like people were stuck behind me and they're like come on let's go yeah (laughs) trying to get up that hill and everything (laughs) and um and then i got sunburned while i was there and then riding with a sunburn in full gear on my way home the the 45 or 50 miles or whatever it was to get home was just like i i have never been more fatigued i just was like i got home and i just wanted to fall down yeah. Uh yeah, that 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 wears on you pretty bad when it's yeah. 89 degrees and you've got a full sunburn all up both your arms and you've got a jacket sure. on and a helmet and long pants and leather shoes and all. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, it it's there's a certain amount of fun to open air vehicles of any type, whether it's a convertible or a bike or you know, a dune buggy. 
but there is also something nice about being able to roll up the windows, have a have a <laughs> rain protection. You can kind of, you know, oh, I want it cooler, I want it warmer, I would like it drier. Whatever you want to do, you can you can control your environment in a car, which in some ways takes some of the adventure out of it. But I wouldn't want to have to, you know, I wouldn't have a Volkswagen rail frame buggy as my commuter car all winter long in the snow just to have the adventure of it you know well i i i can speak to that a little bit yeah i mean my uh and and two things and and where it's nice to have a nice quiet vehicle um so some of uh so i've announced uh this friday night heads up series at the local drag strip for i think this is my 10th year of doing it down there but um my uh one of my former vehicles which which was actually known as the danger ranger uh which was a <laughs> 93 ford ranger pickup and i'll have to send photos if i can find them again but i mean it was a pile like i mean transportation special was being kind to it okay but i bought it for, like i bought it for like six or seven hundred bucks i bought i think i sold it four or five years later for six or seven hundred dollars so you know i did okay on it but it was it was an exhausting vehicle to drive because it was it was a four-cylinder ranger with a manual so it was dead slow it was loud it rode like crap um and coming home at three in the two or three in the morning from the drag strip you know that that wears on you and then i also when i had my tzr 250 there's nothing like trying to you know ride home at two in the morning on the highway on a motorcycle whose top speed might be 100 miles an hour <laughs> you know yeah. and it was like me at about 8500 <laughs> rpm on a two-stroke coming home versus you know certain press cars you get in and it's like Oh, I'm home already. This is nice. (laughs) It doesn't feel like an ordeal to get home, right? I'm already tired enough as it is. And uh, I I love motorcyclists and I'm all for open air, but not so much in a car. Like I've got a 70 MGB and I have a hard top that never leaves the car. (laughs) If it's 90 degrees and sunny outside, the hard top stays on the car because when I'm in a car, I'm just not really into the whole open air thing. I I like an enclosed car i don't really I, I like did, convertibles i just turned in an nd miata two weeks ago and except for a couple days when it got really cold for no apparent reason uh, the the top as soon as i got in the first thing i did is reach over pop it down mm-hmm. you know five seconds yeah. later and you just yeah. you know and again it's it's spring so it's not bad it's not like it's july in michigan where it's 90 yeah. degrees the sun's beating down on you and it's you know 84 percent humidity yeah where you have to turn the air conditioning on if you want to put the top down um yeah. so but yeah i just... am i'm almost the exact opposite because like my convertible top is down from uh april like early april through october yeah like, i don't put it back up it yeah. stays down permanently but then yeah, again, I have really nice weather here, and it's it's a dry heat. Yeah, so. <laughs> see, on, on, on my car, I don't even. It's not even that I just keep the convertible top up. I mean, I don't even like the noise of a soft top. That's why I yeah. go so far as just to keep the hard top on it. Um, I, know, I don't even think I've ever driven the car with the top off. To be honest with you, one of the reasons that I'm not really into convertibles is not so much the wind and the open. You know the heat and the cold it's the sun uh now that i'm officially an old man and have Mm -hmm. an aarp card i'm one of those guys that (laughs) that spent all summer at the lake as a young man and now goes to the dermatologist every six months to have all the precancerous stuff taken off my bald head and it's like if i'm outside in a short sleeve shirt no cap give me about 30 seconds and i'm freaking out if i'm in direct sunlight i'm like no no. So it, the whole idea of motoring around in the sunshine doesn't have the same allure to me now than it did. And when I'm on a motorcycle, I got gloves. I got, you know, a heavy jacket with armor in it. I got a full face helmet on. I'm I'm like a hermit crab in my shell. So I don't have to worry about that. Well, the thing about convertible ownership is, is if you wear all the gear all the time, <laughs> then you don't have a problem. <laughs> so well, I have, like, I have my sunscreen, I have my hat, I have, you know, long sleeve so, t-shirts. Pete, that's why you need, uh, you need a convertible with a tonneau cover that just has the the part that unzips for the driver, 
And then yes. you just wear a hat, so you're yeah. all enclosed. Well, yes. I, you do away with the windshield and you wear a full-face helmet. So you there, know, you yeah. there you go. There you go. You're back to the whole Brooklyn screens. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Eric, speaking of Danger Ranger, uh, my friend just bought a 89 Ford Ranger, so the prior body style than the one that you're just uh, showing. And it's dangerous for a couple different reasons. He bought it from a person who uh, put a 2.3 turbo Ford motor in. <laughs> um mm-hmm. And, and it makes a lot of power. And it also has the most bald and old, dry, hard-as-a-rock tires on the rear of it. But also, so the guy that built this truck thought that, you know, it had power steering. but it's And it still has the uh, power steering gear on it, but not the pump. So his idea for, you know, increasing uh, power to the wheels was just taking off the belt to the power steering pump. But... When you, it's not like it's got a manual rack in it, right? So when you're steering it, it's fighting yes. you the entire time. I mean, it is just a bear to steer it, and it always wants to return to center really badly. Yep. And it is I, like the most dangerous truck I've ever driven in my entire life. A power steering box wears really, really rapidly when yeah. you don't have a power steering pump. Yeah, yeah, and and this truck it, has been that way for probably a good year now, and. I mean, I'm telling you, if it, if you drove this truck, if you even saw it driving, you would probably run from it. It is going to cause a fatality here pretty soon. And I try to talk <laughs> my friend out of either driving it or fixing it or getting rid of it. Probably the dumbest thing he's ever bought in his life. And if he's listening to this, now he knows. <laughs> my, uh, my, I used to do that all the time in my in my '92 five liter LX coupe. Um, I because I had a, you, when you go to the track, you'd put a short belt on it to bypass the the power right. steering. And the air conditioning, um, and I would I would drive around for days at a time without because I mean it took all of I don't know twenty seconds to put the long belt back on because you just get yeah. in there with the crowbar, pull the adjuster, flip one in, flip one out, and you're done. It was easy peasy. Um, but for whatever reason, I wouldn't do it because you know it saved all of seven horsepower, or whatever it right. saved. Right? But, yeah, yeah, and and you know in two twenty five section sixteens. Yeah, those were 16s. Um, BF Goodrich Comp TAs. Yeah. But so, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And and at parking lot speeds, yes, it was a pain in the ass. Once you're going about 20 miles an hour, it wasn't bad. But, yeah, it was still – it wasn't the smartest thing I ever did. Yeah, this truck, I drove it around the block, and it wasn't even, like, at 20 miles an hour and uh, and over. It was easy to steer. Like, I don't know what it had for steering gear on it, but it was the most impossible vehicle in the world to steer without that power steering pump hooked up. But Eric, that reminds me, have you seen the video on the internet of the guy with the Volkswagen changing the fan belt with a screwdriver in just like a matter of a second where the engine's running, he sticks a screwdriver in between the pulley and the belt and the belt comes off. He puts a new one, like dangles it onto one of the pulleys and then uses the same <laughs> screwdriver to pop it back on. I have not seen that, no. Well, yeah, if ever you want to relive the glory days. If ever you want to relive the ages, you need to watch that. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. can at the racetrack. Go and tell that to all your racetrack <laughs> friends when you're there announcing, hey, if you want to save five horsepower in one second, pop that off. And really, I mean, who needs a water pump? It's only a quarter of a mile. You know, exactly. just let it cool down when you get to the end of the track. It'll be fine. <laughs> well, I, I had a friend of mine who didn't mention this last week when we were talking about CX500 turbos. He bought a CX500 turbo, and this would have been 88 or 89, that had been in a fire. He bought it from an insurance sale, and it had burned. All the plastic bodywork had basically melted on it. Burned C- like a Ducati at a racetrack? Yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> uh, The seat foam had all melted and everything so he stripped everything off of it took the radiator off and just kind of capped all of the things and he turned it into a drag bike stripped everything he could off he had one of those little quarter gallon uh, tin cylindrical fuel tanks like you'd put on a lawnmower strapped <laughs> to one of the backbone tubes and uh took it out and he was running high 11s with it just with a straight pipe on it and uh it was it was pretty impressive, but he had no cooling whatsoever. It was just, you know, like a dedicated dragster. He, when it got hot, you turned it off and you let it cool. There was no radiator, yeah. no nothing. Before Chaz Davies' uh, Ducati uh, caught on fire this this past weekend at uh, was it where that Silverstone or Donington? Um, yeah. Back in 03, I think it was or oh four. 
Um, that's Colin Edwards on the Aprilia Cube uh, MotoGP bike. Kind of same thing. Yeah. It's an Italian yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, it must be. Yeah, <laughs> catching on. That, fire? Actually, that one. The no uh, what happened? <laughs> what happened was they didn't get the fuel cap on all the way, so some spilled out, and then because that bike ran really, really hot, it was designed. The engine was designed by Cosworth, so you you understand how tight, narrow, compact, and hot that that engine ran. And so yeah, it, uh, fuel got down in the engine, and yet burned. It burst into flames. Yeah, that's. He was recently. He was recently uh, talking about that whole incident. Uh, and Mugello, when he was uh, when he was in Mugello for uh, MotoGP, working with uh, BT Sports for their for their MotoGP coverage, so it was, it was funny. Yeah, it's funny looking back on it later. Yeah, in, a, in a horrible way, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about the the intersection between cars and motorcycles, some of the things that it it makes me think of the number of especially British old British motorcycles with sidecars that have the fully enclosed sidecar for the passenger, but yeah. the guy on the bike is still out in the the British drizzle and fog and cold weather as they're driving. Sometimes seating for two enclosed in the sidecar with roll-up windows and a roof and everything, and I thought... You know, it's like, yeah, Dad, we can't afford a car, so so you you get to ride on the motorcycle, and we're gonna roll up our windows and be nice and dry in here. Hey, even if they were sitting on the back of the motorcycle, they're still gonna stay pretty dry because the rider is still the one that's gonna get wet. Uh, another one is yeah. uh, the guy that took the Laverta and built the sidecar, but kind of did this really weird Siamese morphing of them, so they're both the same frame and. It came out a couple of years ago, and they're truly melded into each other, the sidecar and the bike. So it kind of looks like a three-wheeled, asymmetrical car with a saddle on one side. It's it's truly... Is it hideous? Is that what well, you're looking for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is a weird... <laughs> a motorcycle uh, with a sidecar, I've just never really understood. I don't know why at that point you wouldn't just drive a car. As, or, or even just a convertible car, but I don't get the motorcycle and sidecar combo. Some of the other ones are now they've got the leaning trikes that right. are three, you know, the Piaggio MP3, and there's a couple of other larger ones, and there's even the Harley did a, a prototype of one, and now Yamaha has the Tesseract, which is a four wheel leaning motorcycle. Which is, is that actually a thing? It's, it's well. I mean, like, is it going to be produced? It's one of those they're exploring production of it. Um, of course. So, so and they haven't committed to it, but they've said, uh, you know, they've they've taken out some patents on stuff. So right. it's not just a one-off. You know, it's not like the Tomahawk where it's just we're doing this for yeah. publicity. They're investigating making this. And it seems like if that were going to meet requirements for uh legal road riding then you wouldn't you have to allow a four-wheeler on the road too i mean that's what this is it's a four-wheeler well depending on how you define car and motorcycle according to state you know you couldn't even do the uh polaris slingshot wasn't legal in texas until they they kind of you know stitched the rules together a little differently and came up with you know three-wheeled cycle car legislation because it doesn't have you know, a windshield and windshield wipers and, and seat belts and all those things. Uh, what I was thinking of airbags, all those things yeah. that are required for a four wheel vehicle. You're not going to have on this. So I think that's part of it is you, you have this limbo of, well, if it's three or four wheels, it might be kind of a bike. It might be a car. Mm-hmm. You have. Yeah. But this, the slingshot's kind of a weird blurred line because you need a motorcycle from what i understand you need a motorcycle endorsement to ride on one or correct and then some states and and but not others require you to wear a helmet i'm not really sure about that one um i think any any state that requires a helmet for a motorcycle requires a helmet for a slingshot i don't think so i think well it, I think that it's technically required, but when a cop sees one, they're not seeing a motorcycle and they're not looking for a helmet. In fact, I just right. saw one driving around my state yesterday, and the guy uh, was comfortably not wearing a helmet. But my state requires helmets. Some, not to say that that makes some illegal. states so, have have a what they call a motor tricycle designation for three wheeled motorcycles, and mm. 
I know at least one state stipulates if your head cannot come in contact with the road, you know, if you have a seatbelt on and you're strapped in and you have a roll bar or something, you know, rollover protection, you don't have to wear a helmet. Sure. And, and then finally, the last thing, I sent you guys a picture a couple weeks ago. It was on the Kansas City Craigslist. It is a, uh, like a bucket T. It's a, <laughs> it's a car with a yeah. V8 engine, but instead of a bucket, they hooked up handlebars and you straddle a seat like a motorcycle. And it's, I always said, you can clearly tell where motorcycles ends and cars start. I think the, the Morgan and the slingshot are more car than motorcycle. Yeah. And this one just kind of blew me around. Like, okay, no, I, I don't know what to call that. <laughs> well, that, well, it was probably the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life, for one. But two, that's that's got to be a car, right? Because you could take that purple, like, seating contraption off of it and probably put a Model T body on it. it they're, I mean, probably interchangeable, really. I a Model T body have, in that. It had a full-size automotive license plate on it. So it's right. licensed as a car. Well, oh, does that um, – so in my state, this might be different from yours from what it sounds like. Like you get, you can have an option of the small plate or the big plate in my state. On, like, a, motor, on instance, a motorcycle? Well, I mean, yes, technically. Not that anybody would put a large plate on it. But <laughs> in uh, like trailers specifically, they ask you, you want a large plate or you want a small plate? On a car, you have to have a large plate. But like they have – both stacks of small plates and large plates, and you can have one or the other. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Now, speaking of four wheelers, I, I, I'm not positive, but I think they are street legal here in Nevada. I know in Arizona, there's some. Mm. I don't know if you can ride them on the highway, but I know that in some I, towns yeah, in Arizona, you can. It's the Wild West, man. Everything's yeah. lawless, and you know nobody mm-hmm. cares out here. No kidding. But, Especially in Nevada. Well, it's kind of yeah. like that in Detroit, too, isn't it? I mean, you've got the guys on the <laughs> well, dirt, dirt bikes yeah. and the four-wheelers with no lights doing wheelies down, the, down the intercity. There's more ATVs riding on the streets of Detroit than there are off-road in all of the states in the West combined. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about living out here is, like, I think 80% of the state is is state land. So there's riding trails, like, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, going out my back door, um, we have a, a backyard, and then everything past our fence is federal pro- or state land. Yeah. So we can we have a gate that opens up into state land, and I can just ride, you know, a, nice. an ATV or a, yeah. Uh, yeah. Up, up up north, there was a up, when I say up north, pretty much north of like Bay City, really. I grew uh, up in Michigan. I know up okay. north. Okay, so you know. <laughs> where are you from? I'm originally from Kalamazoo area, Gull Lake. Okay. I'm originally from like South Bend and Niles, so you know the. Okay. So, anyways, yeah. but up, yeah, up north, they it was just earlier this year they passed a a, a resolution. Well, the state did because everyone was driving their side by sides up north on the roads, and um, they passed a thing where it's like, no, you can't do that anymore. So even though it might be licensed for off road or whatever, you can't actually drive them on the on the street up there anymore. So that's I know. not going to stop them. No. No, <laughs> I I know uh, in Minnesota they did that, but then they turned around and said, okay, you can't ride them on the road, but we're going to open up the non-paved right-of-way on all the highways that were open to snowmobiles for, you know, time eternal. They said, okay, all those snowmobile right-of-ways are now legal year-round for four-wheelers. So you'd be driving down the highway and there'd be a guy doing 60 miles an hour next to you in the dirt, which was so yeah. much more safe and practical yeah. uh-huh. right hey brad i gotta ask you because uh, you live in reno um yes. have you ever been to sand mountain nevada i have not so it's not far from you it's uh near fallon nevada okay. and yep. and it's this really weird spot where all, all of the winds come from this various directions and there used to be a glacier x amount of years ago and the winds blow the sand into this one massive pile it's about 650 feet high wow where the, there's like there's no sand around but just right in the middle of it nowhere gathers. All, all the winds kind of come together to make and and they do sand drag racing there every year oh cool um and so a bunch of like 
just ridiculously powerful uh, four wheelers and uh, sand cars and all these other things get together. Um, the the hill is so steep that most ATVs can't go up it. In fact, when you're trying to go back down it, you really are just kind of in a controlled slide mm-hmm. descent down because there's just there's no way you can stop on the hill. It's that steep. Sure. The sand cars there that run are usually around a thousand horsepower and they weigh about twelve hundred pounds. And about the best they can do is 85 miles an hour up the hill. It's pretty neat. Um, and they're probably wild. like all paddle tires. and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just absolutely wild. But, yeah, they do it every year. It's actually um, – Fallon, that's not too far from Reno. But. No, yeah. I don't know, 30 miles or something. Not that yeah. far. That, uh, Pete, um, that, re- that reminds me of something. And, and you and I are of an age where you, you would remember this. Um, what was it, and I and it was always on like ABC's Wide, Wide World of Sports every year in the in the seventies motorcycle hill climb that they always showed. It was like there was like a famous motorcycle the hill climb, the Widowmaker. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's what I was trying to yeah. do. That just that's what reminded me of that. And it was like a it was like a big thing back in the day if you could actually make it. And then when they quit, kind of like the late seventies, like anyone could make it up. But it was like it was the hardest thing to ever get up. So yeah. That's yeah. What, well, they, that they reminded kind of, me of that story. They kind of modified motorcycles more and more with longer swing arms, and and yep. they went. You know, first it was chains around the tires, then it was the paddle tires and stuff. So they, and I think the hill itself got so eroded that there was more of a sandy, loamy dirt to get them to bite. It wasn't so rock hard that it changed yeah. over the years. But uh, yeah, right, Brad. I know you're. Uh, at work and on your lunch hour. I don't want to keep you too long because... Uh... That's okay. I just had one more question. So the the thing that's always come up in my mind is like the difference between motorcycles and cars is like what if motorcycles were never a thing and they were introduced today? Wouldn't happen. Like if They'd be legislated happen. out of existence. Yes. <laughs> that's what yes. I'm saying is exactly that if it, if it had never been an idea, it couldn't exist. Getting all philosophical. Um, with that I one. know, right? I, I think yeah. it was Bruce. I I can't pronounce his last name. Finlayson, fin, Finlayson, or Finlayson. I'm not sure how it is. He was a, a design critic and a motorcycle author and uh, Ducati rider. He made a statement which I think is one of the perfect ways to sum up motorcycles. He said, "Motorcycles are a failed experiment in transportation." That for some reason was not abandoned. Well, <laughs> and and it's like, yeah, that, that's pretty much it because they started out as motorized bicycles to get around, and so many times in history, as soon as people can afford cars, the they stop buying bikes for transportation if you can afford four wheels, and uh-huh. it becomes strictly something you do for adventure, for sport. For entertainment recreation yeah 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 in in developed countries i would say you're right but in less developed countries where there is a, a bigger need for motorcycles to get to places where cars can't then i would say they probably i mean there's a need for them they would have been invented and and they would exist today and i think that developed countries would probably recognize how cool it looked and then uh <laughs> take them as their own I, I yeah. Look at look at look at Indonesia and Vietnam. I mean, that's pretty much there's well forty even, forty thousand motorcycles and scooters for every car. I was yeah. going to say my friends from Australia, and and he talks about the the posties, the you know little postal guys riding their Honda uh, Trail One Tens, yeah, to get around to deliver mail, and I think they still even use them to this day, or maybe wow. not the exact same, but you know something similar in some parts of Australia. I know there was one. Uh, I forget what city it was. Somebody said they were doing away with their motorcycle cops because they didn't think the return on the risk was worth it, that they didn't mm-hmm. see that there was enough strategic need for motorcycles. And they gave them like like town and country vans or something. It was just like going <laughs> yeah. in the exact <laughs> <There opposite>. <laughs> Slap in the face. Yeah. So, so to answer, Brad, to answer your question, I think up until about 1980, yes. After about 1980, no. And the reason I go 1980 is it wasn't about 85, 86. Like that's kind of when three wheelers got banned, right? When yeah. we all of a sudden had four wheelers, mm-hmm. three wheelers. So mid 80s. So that's why I say up until about 1980, we were still a pretty carefree 
country. I mean, yes, we had liability garbage going on and enough ambulance chasers. But I mean, you see some kid ro- rolling in the back of his dad's pickup, you know, sitting in the bed of a back of a pickup truck. Hey, no big deal. Kids out having fun. Now it's yeah. like you're calling, you know, child child protective services like my God, child abuse is going on. Yeah, <laughs> there's actually a yeah. funny comment about that. When my wife when we moved to Ohio, we had to retake the uh, driver safety test to get our, our licenses in Ohio. And my wife actually failed the course by one question because the question was, how old do you have to be to ride in the back of a pickup truck? <laughs> <laughs> and she thought the answer was 18, but the answer is actually 13. Oh, really? Uh, so, yeah. Apparently in Ohio, you can ride in the back of a pickup truck if you're 13. They're, they're well, special down there. There's a guy, <laughs> I, I forget who said this. It was somebody that was writing, I think, about the uh, Can-Am Spider. And I forget where I read this, but he basically said if you took a motorcycle and you wanted to maximize its advantages and minimize its comp, you know, it, its negatives and compromises, you would do one of two things. Either you would get to the point where you would add wheels or you would get to the point where that internal combustion engine would have to go because, you know, it's got flammable fuel, it's heavy, it it makes it hard to handle, and you would end up with either a car or a bicycle or some kind of little electric, uh, you know, Segway kind of thing. But the internal combustion in two wheels was just a marriage that was, that was doomed to not be fish nor fowl. It's not really all that much more efficient than a car for the environment or for resource usage. And it's so much more expensive and heavier and more maintenance and more cost than a bicycle that you either have to go one way or the other to, to end up with something that makes sense. But I just well, have to say this one thing about motorcycles and Eric, Eric, how you said that like they wouldn't have been invented in a way. It seems like they're being uh, invented again when, and this might just be a Portland thing because it's a land of the hipsters, but I'm starting to see a lot more of these bicycles where they are sticking engines in them, uh, to get around more efficiently. And it's just like, it's like 1919 and they're like reinventing the motorcycle. And, and I feel like that would probably happen invariably. And yes, that, that is yeah. hipster stupidity. Yeah. Those yeah. are the worst. <laughs> and I saw them co- when I was up in Seattle, the the fish market the what is it uh, Pike Street Pike, yep, Pike yeah. Street market. Pike yeah. Street it was so the whole time we were there <laughs> you know no mufflers on them and they're they're screaming along doing twenty miles an hour I was like oh I can't wait to get out of here just to get away from those things they were so <laughs> yeah. annoying well now now that you brought up uh, you know electric bringing up electric motorcycles I want to have that whole conversation but I could talk for another three hours this is crazy so. Well, I don't think we've had like an official electric episode. We've just talked about them here and there, but maybe we'll have to have an official electric episode. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, I've always wanted one, so I'd love to hear from a motorcyclist perspective what the the pros and cons are. So yeah, yeah, do that sometime. Yeah. Cool. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for having me on, guys. This was all a, uh, a lot of fun. Well, yeah. well, we had to return the favor. I had so much fun on yours that. Uh... <laughs> We're, we have kind of been more free range than we normally are, and I think that we've kind of inherited that from from That's, your podcast. Yeah, that that kind of uh, comes with the territory when I'm around. Uh, I noticed that the the conversation immediately went to Porsche and then moved to other stuff. So I was like, <laughs> "That's me." <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, yeah. Time to get back to work. But okay. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. And Eric and Garrett, as always, thank you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. We will see you next week. Bye-bye.